Well, good morning, Hope. You had an extra hour of sleep, and that's all I get, eh? Good morning, Hope. It's good to be with you. Please turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We are in verses 1 to 12, talking about the authority of Jesus. But first, we really need to deal with what authority is and kind of get our mindset around authority, right? Do you think that you have authority, right? Who has authority? Do I have authority? You say, well, I live in a free country. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Well, what about all those laws? Oh, yeah, I can't break any of those laws. But outside of that, you know, I got pretty good authority in my life. Really? Really? Um, See, because if I was authoritative in my life, I wouldn't get sick this fall, but it's coming. I know it's coming, and there's nothing I can do about it. In fact, if I had all authority, I would just not have fall at all. It would just be summer, right? Right up until next summer, and then we'd just do it all again. But I don't. I don't. Are you able to, with authority, keep your job, even though if you were to go into work and just do nothing all day? No, we don't got that kind of authority. We can't do whatever we please. What about our boss then, right? Because does he have all authority? Well, clearly, clearly not. He also has to follow the laws of the land and can lose his business just as quick. So let's just keep going up the ladder. Well, who has authority? What about our prime minister? Pray that he doesn't have all the authority, right? But, right, does he? Well, not really. He's just one of 338 votes in the House of Commons, and he has to keep the uh, confidence of the House. And even if his law does get passed, it still has to go to the Senate for review, right? There's, it's not ultimate authority, Uh, What about, okay, what about the biggest country in the world? What about uh, the United States, the most powerful country in the world? What about their president? Does he have all the authority? Seems like he can't do anything without getting in trouble, right? (laughs) And even if he did have all of the power, it only lasts four or eight years. It goes away. So who has all the authority? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, he says, All authority has been given to me, all authority on heaven and on earth. In Psalm 115.3, it says, our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has all the authority. He is the only one that can do anything he pleases. He is above all things. The world is under his control and command. He tells the seas to stop, they stop. He tells the rain to start, it starts. He tells the blind to see and they See, he has all authority over everything. He is the only one. And in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter 2 today, we constantly see Jesus proving his authority over everything. And so let's read, I'm going to read this over you, Mark 2, 1 to 12, as Jesus proclaims his authority again. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, 
Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you, God, that you truly do whatever you please. And thank you that you are good and all that you do is good. Lord, thank you that you've been so kind to us, God, to save us through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you, O oh God, that you are here with us now. God, I pray that your Spirit would illuminate the Scriptures to us. Enlighten our eyes, O oh God, and teach us your Word. Lord, we need you. We are helpless before you, O oh God. So help us in your Spirit to learn. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here is our big question for today that we have to continually ask ourselves, and it's this, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to me? And then, once we've answered that question, we need to follow up that question with this, does my life prove my opinion of Christ? Who is Jesus to me, and does my life prove it? In our text today, and in general, I would say there's three groups of people, and we see that clearly in our text today. The first group of people are the friendlies, all right? The friendlies. You see in the text, Jesus says to him in verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. These are the faith-filled people who see the authority of Jesus Christ. They believe in Jesus Christ. Their faith is in Jesus Christ, not just a faith that knows, but a faith that acts, and Jesus sees that faith, and they are forgiven Second, we see the enemy, the enemies. These are the people who see who Jesus is. They even admit that he has some kind of authority, that there's something going on there, but they're rejecting him fully. They don't want anything to do with him. In fact, they want him to just go away, even though they see his power. And those are the scribes in our story today. And then we see this third group of people, the people who are gathered around, that are clamoring at the house, trying to get in, everyone else, and I'm going to call them the groupies. They're groupies. You know what a groupie is? A groupie is someone who, or a group of people who follow a famous person around just trying to get close because they love to be close to the celebrity. They just want to be near them. It doesn't really matter who, even, if that person becomes Famous no more than they stop going to see that person. They latch on to another person, right? They're like leeches almost. They just follow this person around trying to suck some blessing away from them in some way, shape, or form. And these are the other people in the house. They see who Jesus is. They're amazed by what he has done and what he can do. They're, they're just enthralled with who he is. They want to get close to Jesus, but they don't fully understand who he truly is as God. They don't know what he truly offers, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, out of these three people in our story today, only one of them is considered saved from the wrath of God. 
The other two will not receive the kingdom of God and will face eternal punishment in hell for sin. Only one of them has their sin forgiven. This is why answering the question, who is Jesus to me, makes so much importance. It is so important that, we, important that we answer this question, who is Jesus to me? And so we're going to walk through our text today. I have three points. The first two are a little quicker, and then the third one is where we're going to spend most of our time. But here's our first point for today from verses 1 and 2. Because Jesus has all authority, people come to listen. People come to listen. Look at the text, verse 1. It says this, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Jesus begins his ministry after his baptism. He gets baptized in the Jordan River, just probably north of the Dead Sea. And he's baptized there, and then he goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. Maybe you know that story. And then after that, he returns back to Galilee, which is even more north. He goes up to Galilee, and uh, his home city, uh, where the base of his ministry is, is Capernaum, probably the house of Peter and Andrew. So he's in Capernaum, but then he goes out throughout all of Galilee, and he's preaching the word to them. He's, he's casting out demons, stamping his authority over the demonic world. He's stamping, stamping his authority over uh, creation, and he's healing many people. And then he comes back home to Capernaum. He comes back home to Capernaum. And in the text there, you see that it says, it was reported that he was at home. It was reported, or some um, translations might say, it was noised, right? People are like, hey, hey, do you hear? Jesus is back in town. Jesus is back in town. Okay, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to go see Jesus. You too? All right, let's go. Everybody's going to see Jesus tonight because he's back in town. He's in the house. We got to go see Jesus. They're on WhatsApp, texting each other. All right, you in tonight? You in tonight? What you doing? Everyone's going to see Jesus at his house. He's back in town and they want more. They want more of Jesus. Why? Because he has authority. Because of his authority. Because they've never seen someone preach the word like this with authority. They've never seen someone have authority over the demons. They've never seen someone have authority over creation and over sickness. They want to get closer to that authority. There's something so deep in the human heart that longs for the authority of our creator. There's something so deep in the human heart. Ecclesiastes says that eternity is in every man's heart. And we're longing for something. I can tell you this. I don't know what you've thought in the past or what people have told you. But the message of Jesus Christ is extremely popular. I didn't say everyone likes it. But people want to hear it. They might not even know they want to hear it. But they want the authority that can only come from the message of the creator of the universe. People are clamoring in to see Jesus. People want and need the message of Christ. Be bold in your faith. Be bold in your faith. Romans 8 tells us that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that the spirit of Christ is within you. That's pretty amazing. That the Spirit of Christ is within you. And did you know this? We learn in, in John 16 that the Spirit of God is convicting the world of sin and righteousness. And that in John 15 it says that the Spirit of God is looking to glorify Jesus Christ. 
And also in John 16, it tells us that he's declaring the truth to you. So let's put all of these things together, okay? You believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit seals you and in you is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is out convicting the world of sin and righteousness and drawing men to Jesus Christ, drawing people to believe in Jesus Christ. He will draw people to you because of the truth he has put in you so that you can share Jesus Christ with them. This is our mission. This is why Matthew 28 says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's what we're called to do. It's how the Spirit is working. When Jesus is in the house, people want to come and hear. Now, I'm not saying that people will like this message, but they want to hear it. Some people want to reject it. Some people just want to be around it and hear a little bit about it, but some people will believe. There's no need for us to be ashamed of the hope that is within us. People are longing in their heart for their Creator. The Spirit will draw them. How will you share this news? When Jesus is working in you, you will be a light on a hill. You will be salt of the earth, and you can be used by God. Look at our second point here. Because Jesus has all authority, persistence pays off. Look at verse 3. It says this, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. This is, this is amazing. Look at this persistence. This persistence just to get to Jesus. We can be successful in our persistent pursuit of Christ. Do you know that? You can be successful to getting to Jesus in your persistent pursuit of Him. We have access to God if you are saved in Jesus Christ. Will you be persistent? Church, will you be persistent? Will you seek Him with all your strength? Are you willing to dig deep to enter the presence of Jesus Christ? Look at the persistence of these men. All right, they couldn't get close to Jesus. Okay? The house was packed. Right? Houses in this day would have been a single floor, and, uh, and uh, they were all clamoring in to get to Jesus. There was only standing room. The door was packed full of people. I, I can only imagine people are peeking over shoulders trying to see what will he do next, what will he do next, what's going on in here. You know, maybe kids are sitting on their dad's shoulders, like getting a better view of, of what Jesus is doing, trying to hear, just trying to get a glimpse and, a, and maybe even just a word from the one who has all the authority trying to soak it in, and, and these men can't get in, and clearly the four of them, four buddies, right, holding a bed, have more difficulty getting in, and so they have to get creative, right? They have to get creative, and so houses in these days, one floor would have had a terrace on top with a staircase at the back to get up to the roof, and so the one smart guy in the group was like, hey, I got an idea, right? All right? Listen up, guys. They're like, okay, what is it again, this guy? There's always that one guy in your group, right? Let's just bypass this whole thing. We'll sneak up on the roof. And they're like, what's that going to do? He's like, come on, come on, come on, let's just go. So they carry their buddy up the stairs, lugging him up the stairs. They get to the roof. And then the wise guy in the group's like, okay, great job. You know, well done. We're on the roof. Now what? The guy's like, ha ha. Let's dig through the roof. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Who digs through a roof? 
But this is what they do. They have to get to Jesus. Nothing is going to get in the way of that. We learn in Luke, in, this, in his account of this story, that it was, there was clay tiles on the roof. So they rip up these clay tiles. And you're just thinking, oh, please, no one do this to my house, right? L- lifting up the roof, peeling back the clay tiles. And then there would have been wooden beams, right, that, that held up everything. And then in between, thash. And, and they would have been taking it all out, digging out a hole. I mean, imagine the people in the living room, right? They're like, what are you doing? Like, debris falling down on them and hay and straw everywhere. If this was your house, wouldn't you just be like, stop, I'll let you in. Like, just stop ruining my roof. But it's so much clamor, so much noise. They get through. They get through. They're digging through the roof. Nothing would get in the way of that. And what a sweet attitude to have. What a sweet persistence to have. Because of Christ's authority, their persistence pays off. They're able to get to the one who can make real change in their life. Persistence in everything else just, just fails. They finally break through the roof. They lower down the man to Jesus' feet. How sweet it is to be at the feet of Jesus Christ. They're in front of Jesus and he sees them. What a terrific picture of the opportunity we have when we seek Jesus that we can get to the feet of Jesus. That in your persistence, you can come to God. What a glorious picture of the community of Christ. What a wonderful picture of the community of Christ. That not only can we in persistence get to our Lord, but that we can, through prayer and even much struggle, bring others into the presence of God. This man had no legs. And so his four friends brought him to the presence of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That we can help and pray others into the kingdom of God. That we can say, Lord, Lord, and through much struggle and tribulation and over a long period of time, just continue to pray and pray and pray and pray and bring our friends and other believers in Jesus Christ to the feet of Jesus where they so desperately need to be. So many people here that have been struggling in prayer for so long, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, and none of it has been in vain. None of it. Because your persistence pursuing Christ pays off. You can have access to Jesus Christ. See, we have persistence in a lot of things in this world, don't we? Lots of persistence. We go to a lot of places and we try really hard to have relief from our problems. But none of them will bring success. Only Jesus. Only Jesus, the one who has authority. Where have you been going persistently? What have you been trying? Where have you been seeking joy and blessing and healing and success and victory, and life, and happiness, and restoration, and forgiveness, and and peace, and love, and rest? Where have you been seeking favor, and a changed heart, and a healed heart, and freedom from anxiety, and freedom from depression, and freedom from fear? Where have you been seeking these things? Have you been seeking these things in a person? You think, this person can solve my problems, the truth is, is they have no authority to enact any change in your life. Have you been seeking substances? 
whether it be alcohol or illegal drugs or prescribed drugs, and you think, if I can just, if I can just get away from my problems for a moment, that will solve it. But we know that that isn't the case. In fact, it just makes the situation worse. It alienates us. It, it brings us further into problems. It doesn't solve anything. How about self? Do you bet on yourself? Hey, you know what? I can do this. If I just put my head down, if I work hard, if I'm good, if I'm clean, I can make stuff happen for myself. I can be free from all these things. I can have victory in life and happiness and restoration and forgiveness. I can do these things if I would just put my mind to it and get it done. Do you really think that any of us have that kind of authority? Do you really think that any of us have that kind of power? If we did, we wouldn't be here. My oldest son, uh, Levi, is really still working out his limitations. He doesn't quite understand his limitations just yet. He's very unaware that he's not all-powerful. Okay, he's four years old. He thinks he can climb anything and jump off anything, and he's going to be just okay. (laughs) He told me the other day, he said, Dad, I want to go to the zoo. I was like, all right. I was like, what's your favorite animal you want to see? He said, I want to see the cheetah because they're so fast. I'm like, oh, great. He's like, yeah, but I'm faster. I'm like, buddy, have some self-awareness. Like, clearly. Even the other day, I'm reading him a Bible story. We have a little children's Bible, and I'm reading him the story of David and Goliath. And, and, the, and, and, and the book um, says, you know, little David and, and this giant Goliath, right? And, and, and little David, with God's help, beat Goliath. And I'm like, Levi, isn't that amazing? With God's help, David beat Goliath. And he goes, yeah, I could do it on my own. I don't need anyone's help. Look at this, this picture of this ripped giant in the thing. I'm like, but you're, th- you're matching up against that, right? And he's like, yeah, Dad, I also I could take you down. I'm like, wow. Okay. He's like, let's wrestle, right? We do this little bear claw thing, and he grabs hand. He's like, and, and in that moment, I'm like, I want to let him win, right? But then I also just want to kind of crush him so he knows. <laughs> Parenting. Lord, help us. I'm trying to explain to him. Levi, no, like, you know, daddy can't do everything. Daddy needs help. Daddy prays to God for everything. I can't do anything on my own. Why would I rely on myself? Levi, don't you know that, that God holds the whole world in his hand? That he's created everything? That he has authority over everything? That he tells the sea to be still and it's still? That he tells the lame man to walk and he walks? He has authority. Why would I bet on myself when I can go to the king of kings who has all authority? Are you betting on yourself? Don't, don't. Rely on the authority of Christ. Persistently pursue him and get to his feet and worship him and trust in him and believe that he is able and allow the blessing of Christ to pour over you. And pray others to that place as well. The text continues and brings us to our third point. It says, and this is our, this is our third point, because Jesus has all authority, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. And isn't that what we need? Because of his authority, we can be forgiven. Look at 
verse 5. I'm just going to walk through the text here, verse by verse. It says this in verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, son, your sins are forgiven. Similarly to how our persistence when directed towards Christ pays off, our faith when in Christ is seen by God. It's seen. See, here's the truth. Faith in any other God or any other thing is folly because only Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to God the Father, and it is through Jesus Christ. And when you have faith in the one true God, in the one true Messiah, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, it is seen by God because it's real. Do you have faith in Christ, the one true God? And you see this man who's come before him, this paralytic who's brought to the feet of Jesus, this faith-filled person, this friendly person of Christ, Christ gives him something far greater than working legs. He gives him something that is eternally greater than an able body. Everyone else in that room is looking at this paralytic thinking, wow, that guy needs legs. And Christ looks at him and says, no, he needs forgiveness. That was his greatest need, and it's our greatest need still today. Do you know what sends people to hell? It's not just sin. It's unforgiven sin. You see, there's going to be a lot of people who are sinners in heaven but they've been forgiven. They've been forgiven in the authority of Jesus Christ. Sin is our biggest problem. You think you got problems? Sin tops the list every time. Cancer, bankruptcy, sorrow, a broken heart, a lost job, they don't even come close to the problem of sin that we have. See, this man needed freedom but not from the bed that he was restricted to. He needed freedom from the shackles that were keeping him from entering the kingdom of God. Freedom from his sin. What brought you to seek Jesus? What brought you to seek Jesus? Was it healing? Was it a ruined marriage? Was it a broken heart? What, what was it? Did you find forgiveness? You know, we're all sinners, and maybe some of you are, are thinking right now, you know, I'm not really that bad, okay? You're getting really excited up there about sin. I don't, like, what are you talking about? I'm really not that bad, okay? I, I, I work hard, I, I raise my family, I, or, or maybe you say, you know, whenever I, whenever I see someone else, I help them out, you know? I'm not really much of a sinner. Like, I wouldn't, I'm not a criminal. I, I, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, God is holy and perfect, and without sin, and in his presence cannot be any sin. And so we have to look at his standard. What is his standard of sin? So why don't we just quickly look at a few of the, the Ten Commandments and see where we line up, all right? Now, I'm going to ask a few questions here. I don't want you to raise your hand or nod your head, okay? Just maybe just in yourself quietly answer these questions. But here, here's the first one. How about this? Have you ever lied? Ever? How many times do you think? How many times? 
Have you ever stolen anything? When? What? The Bible says um, that we are not to take God's name in vain. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Jesus says that if we have lust in our heart, we've actually already committed adultery with that person. Have you ever lustfully looked at somebody? Jesus also says that if you hate someone, you've actually committed murder in your heart. Have you ever hated somebody? I think the reality of this list is all of us would say yes to all of these things. And so, self-admittedly, we're a bunch of lying, thieving, blasphemous, adultering murderers of the heart. See, sin is our biggest problem. And before a holy God, we are filled with sin. We are unable to go to heaven because of our sin. Do you know your greatest need? Jesus is ready to forgive. Jesus is ready to forgive. Keep looking at the text here. Verse 6 says this, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away we see the, the, the contrast between the friendly, faithful man and the enemy, the faithless. As the four men and the paralytic were seeking to be healed by Christ, the scribes were seeking to judge Christ. But they were right in some of the things they said, right? Like, look at the text. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? True statement. Only God can forgive sins. They were right. And they thought that since only God can forgive sins, and Jesus, this man, is claiming to forgive sins, and since they don't think he's God, that he's a blasphemer. This is their thought process. They couldn't be more right in some respects. But it causes us, we need to ask ourselves this question again. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Is he a blasphemer? Is he a blasphemer? Is he absolutely just crazy? Or is he God? This is the question we all have to ask ourselves today. Who is Jesus to me? Let's continue in the text, verse 8. It says this, And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Okay, my mind would have just been blown at this moment, right? Just imagine, just put yourself in the shoes of the scribes for a second, right? You're sitting there and you're thinking something and you're like, oh, we got him, right? We got him. And then Jesus looks at them and goes, hey, why are you thinking that? <laughs> hey, excuse me? What? Why do you question these things in your hearts? You see, the scribes would have been these hired hands. I think they were hired by the Pharisees. They would have been hired to go and investigate what Jesus was doing. So they were hired theologians going to investigate what Jesus was saying. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they would have went, ha-ha, gotcha. We got him. We got him on blasphemy. 
He's saying that he is God because he says he can forgive sins. And, and since he's saying this, then it's punishable by death. We got him. We got him. But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were thinking. Why do you question these things in your heart? It would have blown their minds. They're thinking, ha, this mere man thinks he is God, and then Jesus does what only God can do and looks into their hearts and then says back to them what they're thinking. They would have been shocked. I would have been shocked. See, they would have known the scriptures really well, and they would have known these verses, like 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, which says, The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Or 1 Kings 8, 39, which says, You, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Or 1 Chronicles 28, 9, which says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Or Jeremiah 17.10, which says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And finally, Ezekiel 11, verse 5, which says, For I know the things that come into your mind. Do you know this, that the Lord knows every thought that you're having, even right now? He knows every single thought, and he's, he perceives what these scribes are thinking and says back to them, Why are you thinking these things? Proving that he is God. In verse 9, it says that he continues his dialogue with them. I think they're stunned silent, right? Why are you thinking these things? So then Jesus continues. And in verse 9, he says, well, which is easier? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Both things are difficult to say. And what Jesus isn't saying is, which is, easy, which is easier to pronounce, right? He's not saying which is physically easier to say. What he's saying is, which is easier to say and for it to take effect? What's easier for me to say and then for it to happen? It's a pretty amazing question. Because both things for us would be extremely difficult, right? But only one of these things is verifiable. Only one of these things can be proven, all right? Okay, so for me, technically, it would be easier for me to say and I would never say, but your sins are forgiven. I can't forgive sin, but you can't prove I didn't. There's no proof. Show me. Show me that I was wrong. Prove it to me. You can't. But if there was a lame man on the stage right now and I said, rise, get up, and walk, you'd quickly find out that I'm not God. So one of them is verifiable, and one of them is not. But both of these things can only be done by God. Only God has the power to forgive sins, as they know, and only God can create withered legs to be whole. Only He has the power to create this. So He asks this brilliant question, and I'm sure now they're stunned even more. And everyone else, all the groupies, right? They're all like, something's about to happen. Something cool is about to happen, guys. Hold on to your seats. So Jesus brilliantly answers the hearts of the scribes. He points to exactly to the issue, and then he does it. And then he does it. Look at verse 10. It says, But that you may know 
that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus does it. He heals the man and proves that he has authority over that, which proves he is God, which proves he can forgive sins. Notice that the healing of the body here was only secondarily so that the man could walk. What was the primary reason for healing this man? It's right in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The purpose of this miracle was so that Jesus could proclaim his authority to forgive sins. That's what he was doing here. The primary objective was not to give this man new legs to walk. It was so that his glory would be on display. That they would know that he is God. And look at this. After he does this miracle, after he raises this man from his bed and and gives him the ability to walk, who in the room believes in him? Who believes? Well, let's look back at our three people from the beginning. We had the enemy, right? The enemy, the, the, the scribes in this story that see Jesus I mean, their mind has just been blown. He just read their minds. He, he did exactly what, what only God could do. Yet they don't believe. They don't believe. And in fact, in chapter 14 of Mark, we see that the scribes with the chief priests seek to arrest and kill Jesus. After seeing his authority, after seeing these works, they still reject him. And that's some of us here today, I'm sure. We want to hear the authority of our Creator, but we don't want to submit to Him. And we reject it. And then we see the groupie. The groupie who sees Jesus and is so excited. Amazed at what He can do. Wow! Look at that! Yet they still don't get it. They still don't get it. In Mark's account, the people say, we never saw anything like this. But in Matthew's account, it's a little more telling. In chapter 9, verse 8 of Matthew, telling the same story, he adds this line. It says, they were afraid. They glorified God. Who had given authority to such men? Who had given such authority to men? See, they still saw Jesus as just a man. They thought, he's a great guy. I mean, God's clearly doing something in him. It's pretty amazing. And they're just along for the ride hey, maybe he can heal me. Maybe he can heal my friends. Maybe we can get another meal out of Jesus, right? You keep reading in in the book of Mark and you get to chapter 6 and he feeds the 5,000. They're just there for the food. All right, Jesus is a meal ticket. Let's keep following this guy. And And then after he feeds them, he gets on a boat and he goes and walks on water. Keep reading, it's a great story. And they're like, hey, where's breakfast? Where's more food? Groupies. They don't see who Jesus really is. They don't understand their greatest need is not an empty stomach. It's the sin that is in their heart. 
They're following Jesus and just trying to get some blessing from the scraps of the table that are falling on the side. And you can be blessed in that way, if that's what you're after. By just being around the true family of God, there's blessing. There is blessing. There's love in the family of God here. There's help. There's people who will care for you. Um, there's community and fellowship. There's, there's joy. I mean, there's a lot of good things in the body of Christ, in the community of believers that, that you can kind of tag on of and be a part of, kind of, and, and receive some blessing in. But instead of eating the scraps at the side of the table, our Savior is inviting us to sit at the table and eat the main feast, which is the greatest thing we need, the forgiveness of our sins. And of course, we see the friendly, the friendly person who is filled with faith, true faith, a faith that results in action, a faith that sees the real need within, which is the forgiveness of their sins. See, the paralytic was lying there, and maybe everyone in the room, maybe even his four friends, thought that his greatest need was new legs. But in his heart, he knew that he needed forgiveness. And Jesus fulfilled his greatest need. So who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Are you an enemy? Are you a groupie? Or are you friendly? For some of us, we're friendly, but so often we focus on the groupie stuff a little too much. We're here and our prayers are centered around just what can I get and how can I get more? And we need to reorient ourselves to knowing our greatest need in Christ. You can receive this forgiveness today. Will you come to God with your greatest need? Sin and say, Lord, will you take this? Will you give me the righteousness of Christ? Will I, can I be with you in heaven forever? Will you believe in Jesus Christ? He is willing and waiting and wanting and he will forgive. He will forgive. He'll say to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to this earth humbly as a man so that he may die, so that he would pay for the penalty of our sins. Lord, thank you that in Jesus Christ and the authority that has been given to him, we can have forgiveness. Oh, Lord, convince us that our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. Lord, convince us, oh God, that the problems of this world are fading away, oh God, but the, the biggest problem we have is sin and that we need Jesus Christ to forgive us. Oh, Lord, help us in this. Change our hearts, soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, please, oh God, Soften the heart of the unbeliever. Turn enemies into friends. Lord, turn those who are just here for the experience and the community, Lord, turn them into worshipers of Jesus Christ as Lord and King in their life. Oh, Lord, help us. Give us this grace that we so desperately need. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.